The Psychedologist. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Consciousness Positive Radio. In this episode, Kufi Kiri Imara comes on the show to talk about his journey and a new project, A Table of Our Own. Kufi Kiri, born and raised on unceded Uichin territory of the Ohlone people, also known as Oakland, California. With parents that were involved in the civil rights and black power movements of the 1960s and 70s, who grew up in a family and community that strongly emphasized cultural awareness and social responsibility. He volunteered with Green Earth Poets Society in NYC, bringing poetry to incarcerated African-American youth. He was an early member of the Entheogen Integration Circle in NYC, supporting marginalized communities within the larger psychedelic community. His past studies with Sacred Garden Community were focused on deepening his understanding as someone who holds space and was focused on growing diversity. A former member of the Decriminalized Nature Oakland Grassroots Collective, after his efforts to help see the landmark resolution passed, he went on to head the Decriminalized Nature Oakland Committee on Outreach, Education, Access, and Integration. He was part of the team of instructors for the first-of-its-kind above-ground training with the former OLP in Jamaica on psychedelic-assisted therapy that included engagement. He lent his voice to the Horizons media documentary film COVID-19, Black Lives, and Psychedelics. Highly recommend that film. He was the inaugural facilitator for the BIPOC Entheogen Integration Circle in partnership with the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. Kufikiri Imara is a globally recognized voice on championing the important issues of access, education, and inclusion within the larger psychedelic community. I hope you enjoy this uh, deeper dive into Kufikiri's roots and our conversation uh, leading to hearing more about the founding of A Table of Our Own and the status of that project, which I hope that you'll check out and support. Um, thank you for listening. See you on the other side. Hi, Kufi Kiri. Welcome to The Psychedologist. Hello, Leah. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's always great to get a chance to talk to you, and I'm glad the listeners will get to learn or hear from you today. Oh, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate that. It's always a pleasure to be able to connect with you as well. Mm, thank you. Now, what was your relationship to consciousness as a child? Mm, interesting dynamic of, as a child for myself, I'm the youngest of three. And my, um, I have an older brother, older sister. Uh, but the age difference is... Not huge. Uh, so my sister's seven years older than I am. My brother's five years older than I am. So as I reflect upon that question and think back around the, the young mind grasping that understanding in this like new world as a tiny human, it's basically, you know, how I see it. It's like, oh, little human. Um, I was taking in the, the familial dynamics. Um, just recalling on, I'm like, okay, I'm here. All right. We're here. All right. We're doing this thing. I'm in a body and I'm human. I'm one earth. Oh, I have, I'm in this family unit. Oh, okay. And that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mom. That's my dad. Okay. So what are we doing? All right. Let's just kind of take it in and just see like, what do people do? Where are they up to? Like, how do we function? What's, what's, what's this whole thing about? Um, so just looking and taking like cues of how to, how to navigate the, the space more, um, more prominently just within my family dynamic. I was, uh, I was someone that wasn't a big fan of, uh, necessarily just being out and around people I didn't know and wasn't familiar with, um, very sensitive to energy. And so I was, you know, even if I was playing in the living room and, uh, someone came to visit, I'd quickly swoop up whatever I was playing with and like go to my room and like, you know, kind of slide the door to a crack to be like, All right, who is it? Listen out, you know, <laughs> um, if someone I knew, I'd be like, okay, if it was family, you know, come out and greet them. If someone I didn't know, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna hang out in my room until they leave. Um, so just knowing that 
in in that awareness, just uh, being very mindful around the energy I was bringing around myself or or allowing access to myself to a certain degree as much as I could in that regard. Um, and to, to the extent of, for lack of a better term, to the extent of a desire to, I guess, do well to some degree, um, not much different than I think most children and wanting to receive praise and positive reinforcement and attention in that way. Um, taking in what was the, what were the things that, that, uh, would allow receiving that from whether it was my parents or, um, teacher or authority figure, older family member or something of that effect. My brother and sister, I was like, screw you guys. <laughs> I don't need your approval. I'm the baby. I'm here now. So I got some notes. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for clearing the way for me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just kind of recall in, in, in just like the form of my consciousness of like, oh, that gets you positive praise. That doesn't get you positive praise. Oh, this is, this seems like the value structure that we, we operate on and, and the things that, um, you get, um, yeah, you just kind of get that positive reinforcement for, and, and that praise for. So just seeing what were those dynamics? What was that like? And I think to, um, to some degree, I, I think I was, what I was picking up on though, not necessarily like understanding the, the layers and the dynamics of it is where there's a very strong performative nature to social interaction and to, um, the structure of educational system for, especially in, when you're very, very young, like pre-K, K, um, you know, good student, you know, well-behaved and all those type of things. And as well, my parents, um, and my, my extended family was raised in the, as they say, I was raised very old school. So I was raised in an environment that was also like, you know, I could skip a rock and, and hit the era of like seen and not heard. So there was a dynamic as a child of like, stay out of grown folk business. You know, adults talking, you don't interrupt, you know, speak when spoken to and those type of things. So, um, just as a young mind grasping at those things of like, what was that dynamic? What was that about? Some things made sense, some things didn't make sense. Uh -huh. And I would just kind of ponder, like reflecting on what was that? And you know, how did that, how did that feel for myself within me of what happened? Well, why did that happen that way? Well, what did I do and how did that make me feel and that type of thing? Just kind of like taking it in and learning to, to better understand how to, um, how to respond and to a certain degree, how to perform, you know, around in those environments when I wasn't like just a kid at home playing with my toys. Hmm. Right. And how to perform, I mean, even the, in the word perform, it wasn't like how to be true and be yourself. It was how to respond to the environment in the most favorable way for you. Right. Yeah. How to, how to again, um, engender that, that, that positive attention to a certain degree from, from, um, either my parents or whatever, um, and a teacher or and so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't in a sense of like a creative, artistic, expressive performance. It was more so of a, um, paint within the lines and, you know, dance to the numbers type of performance. Did you grapple with that as you got older? Um, I think I grappled with that maybe when I was younger. Um, because I recall for myself in, even when in elementary school, things that I felt I was perceiving like non-tangible, just kind of energetically in environments that I noticed others weren't responding to. And I was like, why don't, aren't, don't, they don't, 
they don't see that. They don't sense that. They don't, they're not picking up on that. Hmm. Okay. And so I just kind of keep that more so to myself in a way and just realizing, okay, there's these expectations of how to be in a, as a, as a kid, as a little human in these environments. Yet I felt like those were not taking in everything that I was perceiving in the environment. And so I just very quickly realized there were certain things that I was perceiving that I could speak about and certain things that I couldn't speak about. Um, and I think that that reinforced for me that dynamic of where the bigger humans can be dismissive of the little humans perception of environments and worlds. Um, and not in a, not in a kind of a conscious, I'm going to negate you and your experience type of way, though more so, oh, kids and their imaginations. Right. Cute. Uh, right. Like, oh, oh, really? Like, I don't want to go in that room. I don't, I don't like the way it feels in there. It's like, oh, it's okay. You're fine. Just. Um, so I was just very young age wanting to be like, all right, well, I'm here and this is what it is. And looking at the school dynamic, which I wasn't a fan of and being like, I'm going to be in this system for a while. So let me just find like good coping survival skills to move through what this, this academic, um, performative environment is. Um, and, uh, I remember. I remember I was in elementary school and I heard about how in colleges and universities, students could set their own schedule and select the subject they wanted to study. And that sounded like a wonderland to me. I was like, wait, I don't, I can, I can pick a class that doesn't start at 8 AM. I can, I can pick a subject that I'm interested in instead of a subject someone else is picking for me. I was like. Well, I just can't wait. I was like, oh. but then I'm like in elementary school, I'm like, oh, I got some time till I get there. So let me sharpen my number two and let me get ready for the standardized test. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so there'd be that ebb and flow of how much can I allow space for me to kind of just be in my own world doing my thing. And then like, oh no, report cards are coming. So now it's like, all right, let's, let's do what we have to let's get the report card looking good so we can just avoid that whole, like, you know, wag of the finger, like, again, the, the positive negative reinforcement, um, around the kind of performative nature of that to a certain degree. So, so yeah, I think at a very young age, I was like, I have all these ideas, all these things I want to do, I want to go out in the world and I want to make them happen. And I'm like eight, nine years old. <laughs> um, and as I referenced with my sister, with the age difference, you know, it was, I was about, you know, finishing up elementary school when she was heading off to college and then like seeing my parents in their care packages. I was like, okay, so in college, you don't have to have an 8am class. You get to pick what you want to study. And then your family sends you food. I was like, <laughs> what's I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there, there was that whole thing for me and I was like, all right, here we go. We gotta, gotta kind of bide my time as it were until I get more autonomy. Mm. And then when you did, I mean, it seems like now, I don't know, I think you color in your own lines of like, what's right to you. I mean, I, I don't know you super well, but I get that sense from you. Um, mm. I'm just curious about when the, when the shift happened. There was, there were definitely attempts to, um, create pockets of that in the, in the routine that was set for me, um, get up, go to school, do well at school, come home, gave it home, um, wake up, do it all again. Um, and so I think that's where like the free spirit nature in, in me was always looking to like 
kind of explore the environment for ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the infusion of the more rebellious nature of being, becoming a teenager was, um, was a, was one that, yeah, was one that was like, okay, I've done it your way for, for a while. Getting a little bit more autonomy here. getting a little older. We're going to, we're going to start stretching this out a little bit more to, to not feel so uncomfortable fitting and let these dynamics for myself. Um, and I was probably around like ninth grade where I recall I was just absolutely done with the, the structured environment of like school and standardized tests and the expectations. But yet at the same time, the negation of like authentic identity. Um, and so, yeah, ninth grade, I was just like, screw it. It's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do me, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and so, yeah, it would, there was more of that kind of ebb and flow of like, I'm gonna do me. Okay, report cards coming up. Like, yeah. let me pick my grades back up. <laughs> <laughs> that I can keep having a little bit of this autonomy that I'm trying to define and create for myself. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in, in, in a family environment that would very much strongly emphasized education. And I remember as a very young child too, before I even got into the educational environment, I, I, I noticed that just again, taking in the dynamics between my older siblings and my parents, like they come home and they'd have a good report card. My parents would be happy and things would be well. And or if they came home and they didn't have a good report card then my parents wouldn't be happy and things wouldn't go well. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's the, that's the song and dance. Do well at school, get a good report card. Yay. Sunshine. Um, and so, yeah you know, to kind of keep that a little bit, right. Just be like, all right, keep my grades going. But then there was a part of me that was like, well, even that didn't have the same kind of hold over, over me as it did when I was younger, when I became a teenager, I was getting into high school and then thinking about how I was getting closer and closer, how I was going to define my life for myself, that I was going to do less of kind of, uh, painting by the numbers. Um, and yeah, painting outside the lines and just doing me and just being like, at some point I'm going to be two feet on the ground in the world for myself. I got to kind of figure out what that is. Um, and so because of the emphasis within like my, within my family around education and, um, not just within my immediate family, but just my family and extended community as well. Um, things not that didn't receive the same time of, of attention. It was like, if your grades are good, we're going to pay attention to the other stuff. If your grades aren't good, we're going to look at the other stuff as a distraction from you, like not getting mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe you're doing too much because your grades are so good. So you should probably, those extracurriculars are probably becoming a distraction and Let's just focus on school. Yeah, there could be a third variable. Like, imagine. Right. Maybe right. the extracurriculars were helping you get through something that was why the grades weren't as good. Right. And maybe you had just realized that school can be kind of BS sometimes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, then, then it was, it was that element of, I heard a saying before, I'm not sure who to attribute it to. And it's about better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm -hmm. And so growing up as, as a toddler, as a young kid, it was very much, you know, ask for permission for everything. And as I got to become more of a teenager, then I was like, oh, you know, like then you started kind of doing like the weighing out as a teenager, like I'll probably get in trouble for this. How much trouble? 
if what I'm doing worth the trouble I could potentially get in, you know, you start doing those negotiations in your mind of like, maybe I'll take the trouble because it'll be worth it to have this experience. Right. And, mm-hmm. Um, and then you just kind of start exploring that and like willing to just have create those dynamics of for me to have this moment of a more in self-empowered autonomy. I'm willing to take the fact that the, the, the outcome of that could be an experience where I'm also like lose some of that for a period of time because my parents are, you know, I get in trouble with my parents or at school or something like, um, and I do recall like, because I wouldn't say like school wasn't, I wouldn't say school was easy, but it wasn't hard. And so the overemphasis on it for me was like, well, it's just yeah, school guys. Like, you want me to go do the book report? I can go do a book report. I just don't feel like doing a book report. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the book was boring. The teacher picked it. Okay. You know? Um, so just figuring that out and sourcing that out and really just also empowering my intuition to not negate my intuition for what the world around me was telling me, like, this is the way to be successful. You follow these steps and you do these things. And then this is like the formula and the structure, and then you'll be successful. And then have recall it experiences where I would negate my own intuition to be like, my intuition is telling me this, but this is what the world around me and authority figures and teachers and things are telling me these are the ways to go. I'm like, okay, I'll negate my whole, everything in my whole intuition is telling me and I'll do it that way. And then it wouldn't be that. And then you're like, yeah. And then, you know, you then, then you get the whole, well, it doesn't work out every time. And I'm like, yeah. you can't make the rules and say the rules don't always be what? Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Yeah, I think more of that moving into like empowerment of my own intuition. Um, and just going with that and moving with that. Mm-hmm. And at what point did psychedelics or plant medicine come into your life? So, part of what infused the like free spirit for myself is um, being a creative individual, right? I even at my, even at my youngest ages, I was all, I started off doing a lot of fine art. Um, and those were the things that my parents were like, let's put them in something so that as my mom would say, I wouldn't sit in front of the TV all day and all summer. <laughs> so it was just like, get outside. We're going to get you to do something. You're not going to have you sit in front of the TV. Um, and they knew I liked art. So they always put me in a bunch of art stuff. Um, to, to kind of feed into that into a way, um, it's kind of the busy thing, but it was something positive. And, um, so for most of my youth I actually thought that was something I just did in conjunction with the academic stuff. Like it was the thing that was allowed because of my grades and because of school and academia. So I never saw it as something that could be its own thing until, um, high school when I took, um, on just kind of a leap of faith. I was like, I can fill my last PE credit with dance class instead of PE. Mm. And here I am like, you know, running track and playing football. Um, and then I'm like the one guy in this dance class and that whole experience like transformed my life. Mm. And I found myself on the stage, literally and figuratively. Mm. And I was like, this, like it transformed me, though not in a way of becoming something not myself, but becoming more myself. Right. So then I'm like a stick and a handkerchief over my shoulder and I'm like performing arts and I get into dance and I get into theater. And as a kid, I was always drawing and writing poetry and things of that nature. So then I was just like full on, you know, the free spirit that's now in this creative space. And then I was just full on pursuing that. Um, and it was along those 
experiences in my life that ultimately led me to New York City, where pursuit of dreams, <laughs> New York City, the great capital of pursuing dreams, right? And I'm like, oh, where do I go pursue my dreams? We're like, you can go to LA or you can go to New York. I'm like, well, I'm from NorCal, so I'm going to go to New York because I'm from NorCal, so screw so. <laughs> I love the SoCal. Love you guys. Um, and so it was that experience of chasing dreams and figuring out how to survive in New York City um, and navigating the energy of what that is that came to this place where I then was gaining uh, an awareness of seeing friends that I had start felt like I had a similar starting point as them, but the progression in their career had gone a lot further than mine. And so I would like jokingly say I'm living vicariously through my friends have more stuff than me and I'm still kind of pursuing the thing. Though that was exacerbating this value structure of how I define my self-worth by things outside of myself. And in the performing arts and entertainment world, success has a very like a very particular look, mm -hmm. like, you know, what success looks like in entertainment, you know, what success looks like in performing arts. It's either you're looking like that and that's what it is, or it's not. And then you're like, well, I just, I'm not successful. Um, so that world can very often negate what, what can actually be beautiful growth towards a realization of your more authentic self in a way, though, though, if there's not lines out the door and you're selling mass tickets and everybody's talking about you, then they're like, well, what are you doing? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's such a seeing a bit of a parallel with your schooling and upbringing and your parents somehow. Right. Yeah. There's definitely that, that reinforcement of behavior and, and performance looks a very particular way. Um, so I was, I was not just butting up against that. The universe was smashing my face against that. <laughs> and I, I took a moment to sit with myself because there was a, just there was just a, a very heavy emotional kind of fog state that I found myself in that I was having challenges to navigate out of. And it wasn't the first time I had felt myself in a, in an environment or a state like that, but it just, again, it was not like, I felt like, oh, I should just be able to shake this off you know, I've been able to shake this off before you get, you know, life ebbs and flows, a little downtrodden, just keep going and onto the next thing. And you'll find something that again, this kind of pulls you out of that, but I was looking for something outside myself to pull me out of that. And that wasn't working. And I was like, oh, the old tried and true is for this art or maybe over tried and, and not as true as they used to be. So it was then that I, I say that. I allowed to take the time to sit with myself to, as I kind of say, life was already dragging me through the briar patch and, uh, um, stripping me down. And then here, here's a cosmic mirror of the universe reflecting myself back to myself. And I'm seeing myself not for who I think I am, but I'm seeing myself for who I am. And I'm seeing that, that external value structure was actually negating me being able to cultivate self-worth. Mm -hmm. And I realized if I take all the external things away, how do I feel about myself and asking myself that question, honestly, and sitting with it, not actually trying to answer it, but just sitting with the question, mm -hmm. uh, the answer presented itself to me. And I realized I didn't like myself mm. when I took all the things away that were like shiny accomplishments and achievements. And it was this dynamic in that moment of actually, I wouldn't say elation, but there was a joy, which at the time my friends really didn't understand when I'm like expressing an, an emotion of joy about, I don't like myself. Oh my God, I need to understand. This is great. No guys, this is a breakthrough. I don't <laughs> like myself. They're like, what do you, I don't, what? And I'm like, you don't understand. I now have an authentic starting point mm -hmm. that how I see myself and how I am, that gap is not closed. And now I have an authentic starting point to align with so that here forward, 
I can actually have impact on that because if I'm still reaching for who I think I am and I'm not working on actually who I am, then the things I'm pursuing, I'm pursuing them to look like the ways I'm expecting them to look, or I've been told for them to look. And then that's again, chasing outside of myself instead of like, oh, this is what's right for me. This is what feels good for me. This is what's in alignment with who I am. So I was able to find an authentic starting point. And so that, that work, I guess, of sitting with myself is what inspired me of hearing about the benefits of working with plant medicine that I was like, okay, I feel like I need something outside. Like I can't fix the problem in my own mind. That's in my mind. I, I, I was able to ascertain that much. And so a good friend of mine. Uh, that I knew from the performing arts world that was already um, in plant medicine space, I reached out to them and they were very gracious to help me with my initial experience in the underground in New York. And so having that um, internal discourse not be driven or dictated by my ego. And then I'm having a, this kind of conversation on a deeper level with a more authentic part of myself. That's not defined by my ego, which is very much tied into how to perform, to receive good praise, to create these positive reinforcements. Um, and simply just, if I'm just sitting here being and creating worth off of just being and appreciating and loving myself for just being instead of doing having that kind of like moment to exhale and allow for that within myself and I, it was like as an initial experience to be able to have that was well you know to kind of borrow the term that people like to throw around it was transformative and so my creative curious mind sought to seek understanding of what is that? What is this like to do more, to go deeper into this space? Um, I was like, okay, well now I'm curious. I already had a naturally curious mind. So then it was like, I want more information. I want to know what this is. I want more of what this is about and how I can make this happen. So yeah, then it was from there. Then I was just really kind of. Deep dive, dive, sorry, deep dive. Wow. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably things that, uh, I relate to. And I, I usually get pretty vulnerable on the podcast, but I know that there was a long time in my life. I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have been able to admit that how important others ratings of me were or yeah to just stop performing and masking. Um, so I'm, I'm joining you in being an ego holder and, and yeah, caring a lot about others' views. And, and yeah, I think psychedelics are, are really helpful in finding the self, whether it's a self that I like at the moment or, or one that is hard to extend love and, uh, curiosity to. Um, Wow, that's really great. I, I wanna I'm wanting to know now if we like shoom up to the present day, you're doing a lot of different stuff. Like, where do we find you now? Yeah, so that journey that I've been speaking to, my own personal spiritual journey, um, that led me to that initial experience has continued to be kind of the wellspring that everything comes, comes from. So my personal spiritual journey is still, I feel like I'm, I'm navigating and, 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 and switching it. The external things are informed by the internal journey as opposed to my external journey informing what's going on inside of me. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough after making the conscious decision to take a step beyond that personal journey and not just how I'm showing up for myself, but how can I show up for others? 
how can I show up for this community that I've been so fortunate to have a, an experience with that's been so supportive in allowing space for me to work through these things, um, in the manner that I need to right in my own ways and in my own time, um, that I was like, okay, I don't want to just do for me. I want to, I want to help for others. And that's led to me really just giving over to something beyond myself and lending my voice to be progressive in this space as much as possible for the benefit of those that I've seen, um, the impact on their lives as much as my own, realizing that that initial experience of being in an environment where there's others that looked like me reflected back to me. And there was a lot of diversity of identity in that space and in that container. And then realizing that's not how it always is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, and then finding myself in rooms where I'm the only one that looks like me with an opportunity to speak to things. I'm like, well, if I don't speak to them, then they're not going to be spoken to and discussed. So just one foot in front of the other, kind of following that thread in the universe, really just allowing for these things to happen that I'm very grateful for. I've went to my voice and actions to, to continue to do that work around, around progress, um, with a strong emphasis around things of education and community engagement um, education, um, integration and access. Um, so, you know, currently, um, speaking engagements, um, and I've kind of dialed back on that a a little bit because now I'm focused on a project that's called a table of our own that I'm working with a friend and colleague named Ayuse Jama Everett. And what it's really focus is about is this kind of uh, summit fireside chat gathering um, that's taking a look at black psychedelia, contemporary black psychedelia across various ecosystems. Um, so that's everything from artists to mycologists to clinical to therapeutic um, and even harm reduction. Yeah. Um, and looking at, you know, what's informed, what's brought us to this moment and what can we do going forward to really shift the kind of way, the shift paradigms, as they like to say, around the way things operate in this space, because there is, there is still this, um, strong tendency of, I think sometimes blind spots that this space, the quote unquote psychedelic community is in a way isolated from ills of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where that is not the case for individuals to have to do the whole kind of song and dance to get a seat at the, someone else's table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the name and it's the name inspiring the name of the project, a table of our own. We're looking to build our own table, invite to it who we want to invite to it and really shift about how do we self-empower as a community in this space going forward because of the benefits of this and um helping to 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 create those conversations around what's possible and how to do it do for self in that way so there's the gathering and then we're looking to have um the medium of film like a documentary film of the process leading up to it and the gathering itself as a way to, to dispense the message to a wider audience. So we have, you know, we're calling it a conference, but the word choice, I think is just because that's what most people can, can really be familiar with is the word conference, but you know, there's not an audience attending. This is really just an invitees of luminaries in the space to come together and to, to network together and to grow community together and to share and commune and, and eat and play and, and express joy and express ideas and all these things, um, and to speak to where they are and where things can possibly go. Um, and then having the documentary film be a way to, to capture that. Um, and then again, yeah, be the vehicle to, to get that to a broader audience. So, um, that's, that's the project that's, I would say feeling like it's, it's being called in. Mm -hmm. So it's more so like this project is pulling on us to happen as opposed to sometimes you feel like the energy of a project, you're the one that having to like pour everything of yourself into it to like 
even get it to move an inch. And then sometimes you're working on a project where you feel like you're just holding on. Right. So, um, especially when you're doing work that's beyond yourself, oftentimes it's like it has a life of its own. And, and so for me, it's very important with a project like this, because it is bigger than me that I remind myself something I, I say to myself all the time, um, pretty often is like doing the work without getting in the way of the work is the work. Mm. Doing the work without getting in the way of the work is the work. Yeah, I feel that. This is really uh, medicinal for me. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it's a moving target day to day, depending on where we are and what we need to do for self-care. Um, because work like this um, does ask a lot of us. Um, and so as much as I can get out of the way to allow for the project to come through and happen um, is, is what I consciously work on, you know? Um, and so in that way, again, the personal spiritual journey is still there present of how can I remain authentic and true to myself and the work that I'm doing and get out of the way of it. And then how can I be of service to something beyond myself? So this project really encompasses a lot of that. Um, and which is also why it's really become more of my main focus, uh, of recent than, you know, more so the spinning plate act of running around doing as many things as beyond humanly possible. Wow. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mm. Yeah. I'm almost reflecting on how you're being like a good parent to your project and not mm. defining what it will be, mm. um, but listening and, and giving structure and support and, um, yeah, birth to something that c- came through you, not from you, if that makes right. sense. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you'll be a good father. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. I have some experience as a professional uncle, so, uh, <laughs> Wow. Mm. Well, um, I want to wrap up by asking you your consciousness hack, but first, Mm. why don't you tell us where can we find you, follow the project, support the project? Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, I'm very limited with social media, so I'm only on Instagram. Um, so you can find me on Instagram if you go on Instagram and you look for Kufi Kiri. Uh, K-U-F-I-K-I-R-I, I'll come up, um, public account and, you know, you can follow me there. Um, he, he shares a lot of really good stuff, both at Poe and in the, in the, uh, what is it called? The, um, the story story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't use it much myself, but, um, yeah, I really like what you post and I'll, I'll include that handle in the show notes for, for the, for listeners. Oh, Go thank on. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate um, thanks. Yeah. And then for the project I'm working on, a table of our own.org is where you can find information uh, about the focus of the project. Um, you know, just a little information on myself and Aize. Um, we've done, um, we have like a little sizzle reel and we've been able to get, start to get some footage. So we're getting a lot of that content, early content onto the page. And then you can also find ways to, to contact and to, so, uh, to support um, in that way uh, through the website. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, any last thoughts or reflections before sharing your consciousness hack? Um, I would just say piggybacking off of like word choice from earlier that why I refer to them as little humans and not like kids or children is that they are fully human, like individuals and with identities, right? And, um, maybe just not the life experience or the emotional intelligence of how to communicate that or the vocabulary of how to communicate that. And so wherever space can be allowed for the little humans to 
define themselves for themselves. Um, wherever, whoever is hearing this out there, um, can cultivate more allowance and mindfulness for the little humans to be able to do that. Uh, I, I encourage that. Mm. Mm. That is very wise and healing, uh, information to impart. Yeah. Maybe from now on, maybe I should say, what was your relationship to consciousness as a little human? I should do that, right? <laughs> I mean, if, take it and run with it. You know, it's, uh, it's your, go for it. Great. So do you have any favorite practices or, uh, I don't know, just a personal, uh, resource to share about, about how you get in touch with yourself, how you get, get deeper into your consciousness? Um, yeah, I have, cause for me, um, the, the temporal perception of, of relating can feel like it has fluctuations, I think, depending on where we are for ourselves and within ourselves, but also with just where things can be going on outside ourselves and in a larger world. Um, you could be involved in something and time feels like it flies and you can be involved in something and time feels like it drives. And so for me, it's something to, um, help cultivate present moment awareness since that's really what's real. Right. And so, you know, I, I, and reminding myself the past is a dream. I mean, the past is a memory. Future is a dream. But so often we're still getting mail in our past while we're, you know, shipping stuff to the future. <laughs> and so it's something that around helping cultivate present moment awareness. Now the, the practice starts off by just simply saying, I'm going to count to 10. But the thing is, you're actually not going to count to 10. It's about. If you're at one, then as much as you can allow to simply sit and be in one, so you're not like one thinking about two or you're at one remembering zero, almost as if it's like a dimensional reality, right? One is all that exists. And you just sit with one and then allowing two to arrive. Mm. And then when two arrives, one doesn't exist anymore. You're, you're two. And then letting two be two full and completely. And I find that progressing in that manner and allowing the unfolding to happen naturally in its own rhythm, like 15, 20 minutes could go by and, and I've gotten as far as like four or five. And so it wasn't really actually about getting to 10, mm -hmm. but what it's helped me do is just center and sit in, in present moment awareness and allow the things that actually aren't real and aren't present to allow myself to let that go. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to try that. <laughs> awesome sauce. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, it's it really, can I share quickly share um, a study I heard about a few weeks mm. ago? Yes, please. Maybe I can find it and link it in the show notes. Um, they hooked people up to all these sensors and, and even that they were sensing their physical muscles as well as their brains. Mm -hmm. And then they put an object in front of them and they said, when you're ready, just when you're ready to pick up this object, there's no rush. Just wait till you feel inclined to pick it up and then mm. pick it up. And apparently people's muscles moved to pick up the object before the brain did the thing that would be like, pick up the object before the brain sent the cue. It's like the body decided mm. when to pick up the object. So I'm, I'm wondering, 
because at first when you described the practice, I was like, fuck if I'm going to be like, uh, one, you know, two is next, two is next. I'm ready for two. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought I would struggle a lot, but I, and I'm sure that it, it will be a struggle and uh, trusting like the body in, 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 um, in forward motion or, or like uh, letting the, the body settle into the present and decide when it's time to move forward or whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Just something that came to me for my personal psychology. Nice. I like that. I like that, that there's even just some attention around looking at what that is. Of allowing choice. To a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and then again, one thing I also like about this is that it's, it, like a lot of things I was talking about previously, this negates a lot of the performative aspects because you can't do it. There is no doing it wrong. There is no, oh, I went to two and I was thinking about two and I went to two and I was actually still on one. That's just awareness of for your own state of how to room how to have more, uh, and have more of that when you're relating to yourself. So if you rush it, then that's just letting you know your mind's in a busy place and your mind's rushing. Right. And it's not like, oh no, my mind's doing a bad thing and it's reaching for the thing and I'm doing it wrong. It's like, oh, this is just informing me of where my state is at in the present moment. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. Hello, impatience. (laughs) Or hello, anxiety. Right. Well, I hope that you'll come back soon and tell us how a table of our own is doing, and maybe more, more things, more, more birthings on the horizon as well. But I wish you good luck, and hope to keep in contact. And thank you for for all of your great work and sharing your wisdom. Yes, thank you so much. I, I, I greatly and humbly receive that. I look forward to being able to speak again with you and about how the project's going and, and anything else that's unfolding of like continuing this work. And I just also want to express and say um, how grateful and appreciative I am for your sage-like patience and understanding and consideration as I've been out doing all the things and you know it's taken me a season to to be able to sit with you and have this wonderful time together so i just have to say thank you so much for that and i really enjoyed this time so i definitely look forward to when we can do this again the psychologist is consciousness positive radio find us everywhere podcasts are hosted for more information visit us on facebook or online at the psychologist.com Thank you.